everybody, and welcome to another True Stories of Tinseltown. I have a really, really fun and good show today with author Eve Golden, and we're going to be talking about her book, Strictly Dynamite, The Sensational Life of Lupe Velas. Thank you, Eve. I'm so thrilled you're on the Hello, show. Hello, darling. Hello, darling. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, you know what? I follow you. I don't know how long I followed you as an author on Amazon, so I'm a big fan. <laughs> I, I've read your Gene uh, Harlow. I've read your John Gilbert. I'm going to read um, Kay Kendall, and they're so good. And now I've read your Lupe book, and it is really good, Eve. I really, really enjoyed it and learned a lot about oh, her. Thank you so much. It's it's most fun writing about slightly crazy people. And if you throw an early tragic death in there, it makes <laughs> it so much more interesting. I know. And that's what I read. You know, all of yours are like John Gilbert, Jean, Kay, they, and now Lupe. They all had very early tragic deaths. And that is well. It makes it makes for a better book, I think. Yeah, I, think I mean, it's... if somebody, if somebody, I mean, Theda Barra, bless her heart, she lived a decent long life, and Irene Castle, and you know, but uh, the, there's nothing like an early tragic death to make a good movie star book. It's the truth, isn't that awful? <laughs> but it's true, honestly. We love to read these, and always there's myths and things like that involving these actors and actresses and their deaths, inevitably. You didn't miss I mean, I could never write about um, – I, I adore Claudette Colbert and Barbara Stanwyck. I think they were among the most talented actresses ever, but they were normal, sane, rather dull people who did their work and went home. I know. You know, Barbara's my favorite. And there oh, are similar – oh, she's so good. I mean, she can do everything. I also love Claudette. I think she's unsung and wonderful as well. I watched. I mean, neither one of them ever set a foot wrong as far as acting went. I don't think so either. They were wonderful. I, I was just watching one of Barbara's earliest, maybe not her first, but it was Licit. And she's so cute, even though she still has her little Brooklyn accent her whole career. I love her. I love her. But and- you know she would, she would cut you. <laughs> I love that about her. She's my girl. <laughs> One of them. Anyway, let's go to Lupe, our wonderful girl. Yeah, she'd cut me. Lupe'd cut me, that's for sure. Oh, she would. <laughs> so why don't you tell us, well, get her to Hollywood quickly, but just tell us where she was born and how she got to Hollywood. San Luis Potosi, Mexico, is where she was born. And she came from a uh, large middle-class family, but her father ran out on them so she had to start earning a living quite young she was a shop girl and hated it and uh was discovered very early and wound up in vaudeville in uh california in the late 1920s when she was still a teenager and was almost immediately discovered for movies and made her first feature film when she was in her late teens, a huge budget production with Douglas Fairbanks, and became an instant star. Gaucho? Mm-hmm. And, and that was drama. It. I have never seen yes. it. When you think she was only uh, you know, 18 or 19 when she made it, and it was her first feature film, and she gives such a brilliant performance and manages to really stand up to Douglas Fairbanks, you know, the biggest star in Hollywood practically. Uh, in the movie. It's amazing how talented she was. I have to check out her movies, Eve, because I really haven't seen a lot of them. There was the- it shocked me when, you know, you think of her just in, in the Mexican Spitfire right. films, which were nothing much, but I managed to see just about all of her films that still exist, I believe, 
even the, the, the two Mexican films she made. And I was really stunned at what a talented and versatile actress she was. She could do drama, comedy. She was a great singer. Uh, she should have been a much bigger star. What do you think stopped that, Eve? She, well, she had the wrong accent. It was okay. I mean, everyone has an accent. Right. As I said, you can, you can hear my Philadelphia accent. So there is no such thing as someone without an accent. But um, an Asian or Hispanic accent was incorrect for Hollywood. And uh, she also did not have a major long-term studio contract with a big company who would have uh, supported her and nurtured her career, maybe given her some voice coaching, really put her into the right films. She was basically a freelancer and hopped back and forth, vaudeville, radio, Broadway. And that's, that's, I think, what kept her from becoming as big as Garbo or Dietrich, which she should have become. Isn't that something? What about Dolores Del Rio? I never really, I saw what, a bird of paradise. Oh, they hated each other. Well, figures. <laughs> hated each other. First of all, they looked a little alike. They were both from Mexico, and Dolores Del Rio came from a very wealthy old money family, and she married into a very wealthy old money family, and she was, you know, just the queen of, of Mexican actresses, and Lupi was looked on as street trash. But she wasn't at all. And she wasn't street trash, but that's that was her public image, basically. So they were they were polar opposites as far as their public and private personalities went. And uh, they did manage to pose for a couple of nice, polite uh, publicity <laughs> pictures together. But you would not want them to meet in a dark alley. She'd cut them. I wonder if Dolores oh, would cut her. Hate it hated each other, especially since they were sometimes mistaken for each other at pr premieres. That kind of stinks, though, because, you know, they pit, they're so few. Maybe they were the only two at that point. Um, they were the only two big female Mexican stars in Hollywood in the 1920s and 30s, and they did have a, a slight physical resemblance. So uh, at, at one of her first big premieres, uh, the crowd was yelling, Dolores, 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 and Loopy had a fit. I don't blame her. I would have been furious. And she would do hilarious, vicious imitations of Dolores Del Rio, both on stage and in a couple of her films. Um, Dolores was, did she have an accent? Because I think I saw her, what was it? She oh, played, yeah, she did. What was the one? Uh, she Louis the something's mistress. She did. She and Raymond Navarro. Right. Um uh, all three of them had definitely had Mexican accents. Uh, not heavy. I mean, you could actually Garbo's accent was much heavier than uh, any of theirs. And also Dietrich's, I would imagine. Dietrich too. Yeah, they they all had heavy. And of course, uh, Maurice Chevalier. And uh, uh, but but uh, of course, British accents don't count because everybody loves a British accent. So people like. Ronald Coleman, you know, could could definitely get by. Oh, he was—he had a wonderful voice, and he was a really oh good actor God, as that well. Voice. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's a really good actor. See, oh, uh, I loved him in um, what's it? 
with Greer Garson. It was so good, that movie. And it makes me cry at the end. He was so good. Smithy. Which one? Random Harvest. Is that it? That film never made any sense to me. Really? Because well, it was kind Ronald of Ronald Coleman has amnesia, and he spends the whole film going, I wonder who I am. I wish someone would tell me who I am. And Greer Garson's going... I don't want to tell him who he is. It might upset him. And I'm going, just tell him who he is. I know. Well, I like the ending especially. Parts of it, you know, when he's supposed to be a young soldier in the kitty bit. and uh, poor Talk about tragedy, Susan Peters. But, you know, that was, I always cry at the end because I think it's a really good thing where he finally realizes it. But you're right. It's like, That's true, on, but that's one on. of those movies where if, if just one person acted like a normal, sensible person, the plot would be over in five minutes. That's the truth. You ain't lying. Anyway, back to our Lupe. And, back to Lupe. Um, so she's there. She gets there. Her first big picture is Gaucho. What comes after for Lupe? Well, they had to scramble to find roles for her in the late silent era. Uh, Wolf Song with her and Gary Cooper is practically mm. softcore porn because <laughs> the two of them were having a wild affair at the time, and the chemistry really comes across on screen. I've never seen that uh, film. I have to check it out. But it's hard to find. A lot of her films are hard to find, but I have some black market, you know, connections oh, who please. are able to get me DVDs. Tell me later, uh, please. <laughs> <laughs> her first really great dramatic role was Resurrection, uh, a Russian drama from 1931, and she should have been Oscar nominated for that. She shows how uh, she was easily as good as Garbo as a dramatic actress and uh, just absolutely brilliant. She was The Squaw Man is a terrible film by Cecil B. DeMille, but she gave a great performance in it, very tragic. And then, like Jean Harlow, she went into comedy in 1932, Half-Naked Truth, wonderful screwball comedy. She's great in that. I would, uh, that one's pretty easy to find. I would, I would try to find Half-Naked Truth. Um, Hollywood Party, of course, she has that great scene, The Egg Fight with Laurel and Hardy. Uh, High Flyers is a B film with Wheeler and Wolsey. She's wonderful in that as the maid, has a couple of great songs, does some wonderful really mean imitations of her fellow stars. That's one of the ones where she really sticks it to Dolores Del Rio. Um, Honolulu Lou was a 1941 B film. Uh, really enjoyable musical comedy, but unfortunately it takes place at a Hawaiian naval base mm. and it opened the same week as Pearl Harbor. Yeah, that wouldn't fly. <laughs> Really, really bad, bad yeah. timing because nobody wants to. Nobody wanted to see a comedy about sailors in Hawaii, uh, the week of Pearl Harbor. She did Congo. And, I'm sorry. Yes, Congo. That's a really weird, creepy film. It makes me sick, but I watched it because I think it's so real. I really feel like I sweat and smell, and I'm there with them. <laughs> it is so disgusting. Well, they were covered with yeah. corn syrup and Eesh. coffee. Yeah. Uh, to make them look both both dark and covered in perspiration. They used corn syrup and coffee. And there was a monkey in the film who, of course, kept licking them. Oh, because God. they were all yummy, so delicious. Yummy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and Nana, her last film made in Mexico, um, you can find it online. It's not on YouTube, but if you do a um, Google, I think it's on Instagram or one of those sites. Um, 
uh, and absolutely brilliant. Not not the best film she ever did, but it shows how at the end of her life, uh, even after doing all those B comedies, she was still just a brilliant dramatic actress and looked gorgeous. You know how like Marilyn Monroe looked her most beautiful oh, yeah. right before she oh, died. Man. She looked incredible. Uh, Lupe also, right before she died in her mid-30s, just looked her most beautiful, I think. She was pretty much the same age as Marilyn, right? Marilyn was 36. She I was. They both she died. died at 36. Yeah, that's what I thought. Also, she was going out with John Gilbert. Well, she used to go out, who I would love you to come on and talk about. But John Gilbert. And they broke up, and she ended up doing the movie with Virginia Bruce, who at the time, she married John Gilbert, right, during yes, that movie? They during Congo, they, they were married, and Virginia Bruce would have been delicious, covered in uh, coffee and corn syrup. She was really good in that, too. She was really she good. She was. That was basically Virginia Bruce's movie. Lupe didn't have a lot to do in that, but there was that horrible scene where her tongue was almost pulled out with a wire. Oh, I my mean, God. That was just definitely pre-code. I mean, you could not have gotten away with something as sadistic as that so much was sadistic. and of course wildly racist i mean oh my god but you know somewhere in all films at that time which was really it does bother me i get like i get bugged but i know it was the time but it, it just makes me sick really and well i mentioned in the book that not only did hispanic um actors and actresses have a tough time in hollywood but uh asian and black and you know i mentioned Anna Mae Wong and Teresa Harris. I love and Teresa Spong Harris. And, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love Teresa Harris. She was great. Babyface. Uh, Who could not? Oh, Babyface. And I saw her in something else recently, too, that she was wonderful in. And I'm completely blanking out on it. But she was good in everything. Uh, Willie Fung, who you think of as the, the giggly little houseboy in Red Dust. But he also did some really good dramatic work. Well, look how they did that with Asian actors who didn't get to play Charlie Chan or uh, yeah. Boris Karloff. So I, I, I or, mentioned in the book yeah. that it's it's not only Hispanics; it's it's lots of minorities had had trouble casting different people. They don't want to cast your original. Look, it just makes me sad. But thankfully, that's better. But how did Lupe get the nickname Mexican Spitfire? Well, they'd been calling her that before they put her into Mexican Spitfire films. They would call her the hot tamale and all kinds of things like that. And the embarrassing thing was that really was her personality. She was always dialed up to 10, and she was a real-life Mexican Spitfire. It's embarrassing when people really are human stereotypes, but some people are. And a lot of... Um, Hispanic people resented her and Carmen Miranda for being uh, stereotypes of the, the wild, fiery Latin American women, but they were really like that in real life. And what are you supposed to do? Change your personality because, you know, some people are offended by it? Well, they, she couldn't. That was innately that who was she was. She, was she, didn't, she didn't drink. She didn't take drugs. That was just, she was one of those people who was always dialed up to 10, which explains her love life because men could really only take so much of that. I mean, uh, there were interviews in the commissary or in her home where she would jump on people's lap and twist their nose and muss their hair and bite their ear. And, and you know, that, that gets old after a while. It really does. It does. And it gets tiresome, tiring. It, it, it really does. It was, yeah. it was 
Yeah, she and, I mean, Johnny Weissmuller, they were married for five years, and he liked a good fight as much as she did, and that's why they were married so long. But it's so funny. Uh, they were they were both, basically it was a, could be put down as a mutually abusive marriage because they were both covered with scratches and black and blue marks during their entire marriage, but they were into it. Yeah, I would imagine. Five years. That's a long time. Yeah. She, she said that the reason they divorced was when they stopped fighting, it got boring. I bet, because it's probably what their, their whole relationship was based on. And she's tiny. She's like five feet. How she's tall was Johnny? Five feet tall. Johnny Weissmuller was, was He what? was like six foot something, and Gary Cooper was over six feet tall. Yeah, and she, she, she in your book, you say she said she didn't like short men. <laughs> She was this teeny weeny lady, and obviously not because she goes out with these giant people practically to her. Gary Cooper's mom, she pretty much, what do you think put the kibosh on Gary and Lupe? Well, Gary Cooper came from a very, well, you know, his 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 image was this, this you know, rangy kind of dumb mm-hmm. cowboy, but he actually, very well educated, came from an old money political family, so... Uh, his family was absolutely horrified when he was dating Lupe Velez, uh, and they had been horrified earlier when he was dating Clara Bow. So it wasn't a racist thing. It was like, you know, we just don't want our son dating someone beneath him. So they were thrilled when he finally married a socialite and stayed married to her for the rest of his life. But cheated on her left and right, <laughs> pretty much. Mm-hmm. He cheated on her left and right. He stayed married to oh, her God, for the rest yeah. of life. But um. Oh, yeah. His mom, I looked at his mom. She looks like I, she'd cut us <laughs> big time. She's a tough looking broad. I mean, she could match Lupe, I think, punch by punch. But so they broke up and then she meets Johnny and they have this tempestuous relationship and he's Tarzan. She's, you know, Miss Thing. And their careers are sort of, you know, how how far can you get as Tarzan? I mean, he's not really taken that seriously. Lupe. Yeah, it was basically, she was typed as the Mexican Spitfire, and he was typed as Tarzan. And of course, his uh, as a professional swimmer and athlete, as soon as he stopped, uh, you know, training, his his physique went to pot. I mean, you know, he was a pretty chubby Tarzan by the mid nineteen thirties. He was when he had the bod, man. He had that bod. What a beautiful he had bod, the bod he had. in the early thirties. Yes, but, you know, first when Tarzan. Yeah, stops working out. It happens to everyone, even Tarzan. Woe is us. It certainly <laughs> happened to me. <laughs> Not yet. Yes. Well, oh no, me. I'm just perfection. I'm kidding, everybody. Wink, wink, wink. Fingers crossed. Anyway, oh, yeah, I, I look. I look like Marie Dressler stunt double. <laughs> Please. That's a riot. Anyway, um, that that'd be a good book. Maybe not boring, kind of. But anyway, Lupe and him, uh, her career was not doing so hot during the marriage, and they pretty much stayed in the news because of the brawls, right? There was a lot of newspaper coverage about how neither one of them were doing much in the way of films, but they would file for divorce regularly once a year <laughs> and the newspapers were making fun of them just like they made fun of Jane Mansfield and Mickey Hargitay for oh, love, yes. their their you know their publicity stunts and they're in the news not for their acting but for their private life and there were a lot of really funny nasty headlines and uh articles about how we are really you know it's like world war world war 2 is brewing in in uh Europe, but you know what we're really interested in is Lupian and Johnny Weissmuller beating each other up. 
People love that. I mean, these gossip columnists, I had somebody on talking about this actor. Jim, what's his name? Jimmy Field. How do you say his last name? Fielder, Felder, whatever it was. He was a gossip columnist, right? Jimmy oh, Fiddler. Fiddler. Jimmy Fiddler. I knew it was one of those. And he was talking about this. We were talking about this actor. And, you know, in his columns, he would write all the bad things this guy did constantly. And I'm rooting for him. No, he really wasn't. Because rooting for him and him being nice doesn't sell papers. They want the gossip. You know what I mean? They want and kind of, I think, take kind of pleasure in it, even though they say I'm sick of it, which they did eventually say, right? Floopy and Johnny. Well, most people loved Loopy because she was uh, not only great copy, but she was smart enough to make friends with the reporters and uh, give them these long, entertaining interviews and, and was very friendly with them. She was smart that way. She would call them immediately when the slightest thing happened. If one of her dogs ran away, she would call up the newspaper reporters and give them good copy. Didn't like uh, she gave somebody the copy because Johnny was married when they first started going out, which was yes. Oh, Bobby yeah. Ernst, I love his first wife because she was such a bitch. <laughs> she was when when Loopy basically started dating Johnny when she was still married. Bobby Ernst gave out these vicious, bitter, nasty interviews, which are just so delightful to read because she did not mince any words. How did Lupe, did they, how, what was her reaction to those? Uh, she was surprisingly kept her mouth shut because uh, she, uh, Johnny and, and Bobby were not divorced yet. So I think she was smart enough not yeah, to say anything. Yeah, definitely. And then they finally divorced. And her. she was nice about her exes, too. She She rarely had a bad word to say about any of her exes. And when Johnny remarried after he and Lupe divorced, she said that any girl who gets him is a very lucky girl. And he remarried right after, just like with his first wife, he remarried, I think she, did he remarry after that? He did, right? But right yeah. away, like he did with Lupe, because she said, no, Johnny, we're not going to get married right away. And then they get married right away. And I think it speaks well of Lupe, too, that she had lots of long-term friends, both male and female, straight and gay. And uh, she had friends that she made in the 1920s who were still friends when she died. And Estelle I think Taylor. very well of her. Yes. Estelle Taylor was a great friend of hers. Uh, Vanita Oki, Peggy Fears, the showgirl. Um, she, uh, Bruce Cabot was a platonic friend of hers. Everybody talks about her sex life, but she had male platonic friends as well. Which is... People can't believe uh, Clayton, that. Clayton Moore, who went on to play the Lone Ranger, was a good friend of hers. Was that just because it was built up to be a romance? But do you think it, that was it just... It was not. According to him, it was not a romance. It was a publicity thing. She wasn't dating anybody at the time, and he was just starting his career. And she said, uh, look, you're a good-looking young actor. I need to be seen out on the town uh, you know, with good-looking young actors. And according to him, they were just pals. And it was sort of like a business thing because they still, let's face it, they do it today, beards, whatever. You mm-hmm. need some, even if you're straight, people sometimes have someone who shows up with them because it gets some press or whatever. But Oh, exactly. Yeah. And um, so with Luke, this is the thing, you know, I talked about this before, but uh, Johnny Weissmeller Jr., did he do interviews or did he do a biography or something? He, he wrote a book about his father and there's some good quotes in there. Um, but he admitted that a lot of the stories we hear from 
Johnny Weissmuller were wildly exaggerated or outright lies, and even his son admitted that. He said that the stories he told about Loopy would get better and better every time he told them. So I make sure to let the reader know this is the story that Johnny told his son, but it's probably not true, but I'm going to tell it anyway, just right. keeping in mind that it's it's probably exaggerated. It's an allegedly, because this one I've heard, and I was like outraged. This was a while ago. And it was, uh, he killed Lupe's, oh, she killed his dog. Then he took her canary and he snapped the poor little bird's neck. Didn't he Which tell us on that one? ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. It was a parrot, first of all. And I don't know if you've ever tried to strangle a parrot. We not, all recently. Tried to strangle a parrot, not recently. Not you recently. Know, I got to tell you. Really? I know. Come on. Um, Lupe loved dogs. She loved animals. And according to the story, Johnny was out of town. And first of all, the dog the dog did exist. The dog's name was Otto. It was bigger than Loopy was. <laughs> and he had it trained uh, to threaten her. What a chance. So, yeah, yeah. He had it trained that, you know, he would he would point to her and the dog would growl. And the dog was bigger than, than she was. So um, apparently... According to Johnny's story told to his son, Johnny was out of town and Loopy uh, poisoned the dog, which is absolutely ridiculous because, first of all, she loved dogs. Second of all, why would she poison the dog when she could have taken it to the vet and had it euthanized, when she could have given it away? Uh, there were so many ways to, you know get rid of the dog without either killing it or poisoning it. So that story simply does not make any sense. And uh, Johnny also does not strike me as the kind of guy who would strangle a parrot. That's First pretty all, pathetic. Get, and also you would get scratched to death if you tried to strangle a parrot. They are big, vicious birds. And Johnny Weissmuller Jr. admitted that uh, this probably did not happen. Also, at the time that he said that it happened... Um, Loopy was out of town and Johnny was living in their house, not the other way around. That's pretty dramatic and a horrible thing to say, but I'm reading so this. So you really have to, my, my motto as a biographer is never believe anything. When you hear a story, uh, triple check it, check the sources, see how reliable the sources are. And if it's a good story or a story that, you know, needs to be addressed, you use it in the book, but you tell the reader, this is kind of, you know, take it for what it's worth. It, it probably didn't happen, but this is the story that was told about them. I love it. And, and you always make it. And you added so many great things. And I, I just made this book up. Well, the reader has to trust you and you have to tell them what you know and what you don't know and be honest about what you don't know. Yeah. You don't know if it's true. Allegedly. There's a lot of allegedly's and any truths there. But I love this line that Lupe said. Lupe, Lupe, I'm sorry if I'm calling it wrong. When I get through with old clothes, I give them away. Men the same. More than any man, I love my dog. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> I love true. What Anna, Anna Held said when she divorced Flo Zigfeld and, and reporters said, you know, would you take him back? And she said, you know, who wants a half-smoked cigar? <laughs> Sort of like, why have hamburger if you can have steak? 
right? That's what Paul Newman said. But, you know, hamburgers are pretty darn good. Put a little ketchup on them. Oh, my God. Yum. I would love a hamburger right now. Man, man, man. Yum, yum. Give me some. But with Lupus, she got divorced from him. He pretty much was... And they, in your book, you say they kind of had an open marriage where if they weren't together traveling somewhere, they could see other people. They were shockingly open about that with the press. They said that, that... that when they, they so frequently worked in different cities. She would tour with vaudeville. She would go to Mexico. Uh, he would be on location, and they were allowed to see other people. And it was rather shocking in the 1930s for them to admit that. Big time, because they what they do? They, they put this big thing on unmarried, living-together couples, Clark Gable, Carol Lombard, all that stuff. So I can't believe that flew... With the, I was I was really surprised that they both openly admitted that in the 1930s. I love her. The stories of her at boxing rings. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, she loved boxing, and she would sit in the front row, and she would yell and scream and jump up and down, and she even annoyed the boxers because <laughs> she would be shouting advice to them and and. Uh, one of the boxers said, you know, basically, look, I don't come to your set and tell you how to act. Stop telling me how to box. Well, you can't blame them. And they're trying to box and someone's screaming and shouting at him. It's like, shut up, will you, lady? I, I got to do my work. But I'm sure, I don't know. <laughs> they, But they were, she kind of, you know, she was, I don't know. I guess it was her real personality. She wasn't really on. It was just who she was. But that was her from the time she was a child. She was she had um, three brother, and she was the problem child. That's why they sent her to a convent, right? Mm-hmm. And did she get kicked with, out with of the her convent? Older sister to look, with her older sister to look after her. And they still couldn't handle her at the convent because as soon as the nuns left the room, she was up in front of the class doing the shimmy and playing the ukulele. I love the ukulele. <laughs> it's so much fun. I have one. Oh, my God. Oh, I'll play it for all of you one day, and you will. Mirrors will crack. It won't be pretty. But um, um, she she went on. She toured theaters for 2,500 smacks a week. She was doing vaudeville long after vaudeville was dead, and she was doing nightclubs and she was great because she loved working with an audience. She would talk to the audience. She would kid the audience. Uh, if she saw someone who sat through two shows, she would yell at them. I saw you in the first show. You get out of here, you deadhead. <laughs> and she would do wonderfully vicious imitations of her fellow Hollywood stars. I would have she loved to see them. What she does these in two of her movies in uh, – High Flyers and Honolulu, she does imitations, but she had to tone them down because she did an imitation of Katherine Hepburn in High Flyers, which had to be cut because Katherine Hepburn was working for the same studio at the time. And they said, okay, this is too mean. Katherine Hepburn is not going to think this is funny, and it was cut from the film. Well, I'm sure Catherine wouldn't have thought it was funny, that's for sure. But you know what really surprised me, too, about she was starting to do the Mexican Spitfire movies? It played with the magnificent Ambersons. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. What a double. Orson Welles. Oh, my God. (laughs) She and Orson Welles hated each other. And I love the fact that she pissed off Orson Welles continuously. And my favorite story is when he was shooting Citizen Kane, 
on the RKO lot, she had a tricycle with her chihuahuas and a little basket in the back, and she would break onto this Citizen Kane lot while they were shooting and just ride right through the set yelling beep, beep, just to annoy Orson Welles. Did he do anything about it, or he just kind of stewed? And... I'm sure he would have wanted to kill her right there on the spot. I would have, too. She was too. taking too much money for, for RKO. And to the end of his days, he hated Lupe Velez. Because she just loved puncturing pomposity. So Greta Garbo, Dolores Del Rio, Orson Welles, she just loved poking them with a stick. She did like Greta Garbo, though, because she kept a lot of scrapbooks of Greta, right, at one point? Until, Until the time she saw Greta Garbo on the MGM lot and enthusiastically ran up to her and hugged her to tell her how much she loved her. You don't do that to Greta Garbo. Greta Garbo immediately froze and stormed away because, you know, she was, you you just don't. She was paranoid about any kind of physical touching or affection or anything like that. And from then on, Loopy was on the warpath. So she and Buster Keaton used to break onto Garbo's sets and laugh audibly at her and jeer while she was doing her dramatic scenes until they were both kicked off the sets and a special guard was set up to make sure neither of them ever got onto a Greta Garbo set again. She also, there is a good story. She was on Broadway and in comes Marlene Dietrich. She's coming in and it's late and it's like P.O. to the max as I would be. And of course, everybody's looking at her. And then she scrams, and the excuse is, well, she had to go to five other plays that night. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, I adore, I adore Marlene Dietrich. So do I. I idolize her. But that was extremely unprofessional and rude because you do not get up. I don't care how many shows you want to see that night. You don't get up in the middle of a show and walk out, especially when you're that famous. I know. So, uh, rude. I mean, I love Marlena, but she was definitely in the wrong. I had her grandson on. I love him. He's been on, I think, twice. I want him to come on again. He's great. He was in Paris when the day she died. He was like 34 when she died. I loved the mm-hmm. mom, uh, his mother's book, but he was fascinating as well. I have problems with his mother's book. Do you? She just seemed. She just seemed very bitter. Well, it was like a mommy dearest. That was certainly a mommy dearest. Book. Oh, don't get me started on Christina Crawford. I can't stand her either. Can you? No, no. <laughs> I'm and, with and you. B.D. B. D. Hyman. You notice that the actresses who write these vicious matricidal books about their mothers all wanted to be mommy and failed? I agree. I 100% when you, agree. When you find uh, people like Rita Hayworth's daughter and Lana Turner's daughter, uh, they did not want to be actresses, so they had no problems with their mothers. But when they wanted to be mommy, but they didn't have the talent or the star quality and failed, those are the ones who write these vicious, tell-all, you know, hateful books about their mothers. You know what, Eve? I just read um, Mommy Dearest again. I hadn't read it in a long time. You know, because all I really remember about Mommy Dearest, truly, is the film, which was horrific. And I'm reading the book, and I'm like, geez, my mother... You know, she did that, but I didn't have, as Christina said, servants or anything like that. This, uh, So people will think we're horrible for saying that, but I just don't like uh, Christina at all. Well, the other, the other daughters, uh, the twins, were there and said none of that happened. She made it up. 
but nobody wants to hear that. Well, my friend, uh, April Vivier, she's done a lot of shows with me, and we were talking about it, and she said that, um, oh, geez, I'm blanking on what I'm saying about the twins, whatever. I'm blanking. I can't go on to it. Let's move on to Lupe. I'm totally blanked. And um, so with Lupe, after Johnny, she really didn't have any great... I, I was really surprised she only got married once. But not really. Well, I think a lot of men were uh, kind of backed slowly into the bushes like Homer Simpson, you know, because... <laughs> Again, you could only take so much of her. But let's get to Lupe's suicide. Okay, let's get there, which is horrible. Let's get to Kenneth Anger. Um, I am so disappointed that he died right after my book went to press, so I couldn't be as mean to him as I wanted to be because I was afraid he would sue me. But I was sufficiently mean to him, I think, because he just made up so much crap that people still believe. I seem to have spent my entire career sweeping up after Kenneth Anger's lies. And the whole Lupe Velez drowned in her toilet thing that he made up, you know, just pulled out of his hat. Um, because that was never even mentioned before Hollywood Babylon came out. Uh First of all, it's physically impossible. You cannot drown in your toilet unless your maid is holding you by the ankles and dunking you. I would think I mean, not. Otherwise, everybody who's ever had food poisoning or a stomach virus would be dead, you know? And every source says that she was found in bed. The only source, and I mentioned this in the book, and this surprised me, uh, the daughter of her agent said that she was found between the bedroom and the bathroom on the floor, which is possible, but it's the only source that says so, and it's a second-hand source. And it was, but what, decades later she said that? It was decades later. So it's possible, although she may have been thinking, may have gotten her confused with Carol Landis. We saw that photo. Found, Yikes. Yeah, who was found yeah. on the floor between the bedroom and the bathroom. But all the police sources and the um, uh, the maid who found her said she was found lying in bed. And why would they lie rather than why would they lie and say she was in bed if she was found on the floor? Because there's nothing shameful in being found on the floor. Yeah. I, you know, isn't it sad, though, so many people have read Hollywood Babylon and probably that's the only way they know her is that she drowned in a toilet bowl. You know what I mean? Well, people people would say, who's your next book on? And I would say, Lupe Velez. And they would say, oh, isn't she the one who? And I would go, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, he was pretty slimy, let's face it. And, you know, whatever, Ramon Navarro, what, that was a true story. Oh, that poor he totally, Ramon Navarro. But that just broke my heart. And he just went for every dirt, but lies as well. I mean, there's some things that you can't Oh, and miscaptioned photos. I mean, those mm -hmm. nude photos of Gene Harlow and Peg Entwistle are no more Gene Harlow and Peg Entwistle than they are you and I. You he know? made a lot of They're dough, good. though. Let's face it, Eve. Well, I don't know. I don't. I don't think he died wealthy. He was rather a recluse, living in kind of a hoarder house when he died. When did he die? Um, just very recently, within the past few months. Well, he probably made he, some moolah when it came out. Because <laughs> when did it come out? 70s? Uh, it came in originally in 59 and then was oh, wow. republished in 65, I think. And he gets so much press for that. Yeah, and I just think it's gross, really. And um, But 
let's just say, why do you, do you, I mean, this guy she went out with, this last guy who, she was, she was pregnant. Is that a definite that she was pregnant when she died? It was definite that she was pregnant, but I think there were a lot of reasons for her suicide. And I think the pregnancy was only a small part of it. Uh, first of all, everyone turned their back on her. Her sister, Josephina, tried to extort What a help. creep. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, the, the sister. And she said this right out loud. She said, oh, I'm, I'm her favorite sister. I would do anything for her. <laughs> and then she said that, you know, well, I told Loopy I would take her baby if she bought me a house and gave me $5,000, which is not something you want to hear. Uh, the guy who was the father of the baby said he would marry her uh, – just to give the baby a name and only after he had some film contracts to fulfill. So again, nobody wants to hear that. Um, and I think it was largely her career as well. She was pushing 40. She had no Hollywood offers at all. This wonderful Mexican film contract, which could have made her the biggest star in the golden age of Mexican cinema had just fallen through that had to have been a huge disappointment to her. She was signed for a Broadway show that was so bad it never made it to Broadway. Uh, television was not even on the horizon. With her accent, she couldn't have had her own radio show. And she, although she had lots of money, she lived to work. And I think she just saw basically everything coming to an end and everyone turning their back on her. And I think it was just too much all at once. Well, like you say, she allegedly she said to Estelle Taylor or whatever, uh, Estelle Taylor was with her the last night of Loopy's life. And so mm -hmm. she wanted her, Estelle was afraid to walk to her car. She asked uh, Lupe to walk with her. And Lupe said, what are you afraid of going there? The only thing I'm afraid of is life, living life. <laughs> I mean, I really can't blame her because what did the future hold for her? It's so awful. And this creep, the father of the kid who... He was, you know, he was raked over the coals and pretty much tossed out of Hollywood after that. But, you oh, know, he was run out of town on a rail. He should have been. I mean, what a pig, frankly. Why couldn't you have murdered? <laughs> I don't know. It was awful what he did to her. And I mean, I've seen some of her films and he was very good looking and not a bad actor. And he did keep working. Uh, but uh, generally in, in Austria and Germany and, you know, overseas. And he was a younger guy, and women were saying he was like a gigolo, and he liked older women, which wouldn't have hit root. <laughs> Poor yeah, he was kind of shady. And that's just sad for her. She's pregnant. She, You know, I don't know. I just find... And then, of course, she had Arturo de Cordoba, whom she was dating right before this guy, and he kept stringing her along, even though he had a wife and about eight million kids in Mexico. <laughs> so he wasn't going to marry her. Was he divorced from his wife, or he just was no. separated by, never divorced. by? I don't think he ever divorced his wife, and he had lots of kids. And there was just no way he was ever going to marry her. And she had horrible press for that as well. Yeah. And she got horrible press after she died. I mean, how mean can you get? They were so mean to her. Oh, there were some vicious things said about her after she died. Um that, that one newspaper columnist, I mean, it may have been in poor taste to play taps uh, at her um, uh, seat at the boxing arena when she died. They put a spotlight on her seat and played taps, and a lot of military people threw a fit over that, and probably rightfully so. That was in poor taste. Yeah, 
But they they also other ones really pillar just really were horrible to her as well. And then of course she has her funeral open cast caskets totally creep me out to be honest with you that I, I have seen very few well embalmed corpses and she was certainly not one of them and you know people just gaping and looking and they really don't care or whatever it's just like curiosity seekers well, or whatever it's funny the 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 um uh connection between her and Carmen Miranda was much the same because their native countries really resented them not only being human stereotypes but also why the hell are you making money in Hollywood when you could be in your home country you know working for your own film industry and when they both went back to their home countries there was a lot of resentment uh saying oh here's the big Hollywood star lording it over everybody and getting the best dressing room but when Lupe Velez and Carmen Miranda died they both had the funerals of presidents or queens with people just, you know, thousands and thousands of people weeping at their graves. And also, there's also the other end of the coin, like, has been immortalized in A Star is Born, or Elizabeth Taylor's husband, Mike, uh, Mike Todd's, where people are sitting on gravestones eating popcorn and treating it like, you know what I mean? Like some big, ugh, you know, I don't get that stuff. But, you know, people just look dead to me. I remember always, I, I hear... Oh, they look so peaceful, like they're sleeping. I'm like, please, <laughs> they're freaking dead, people. You know, come on. They don't look like they're sleeping. They look like they're dead. But I, I just, and they always have that weird pinkish orange powder. Yes, on them. yes. My mother had that, you know, and she told me yeah. she didn't want an open casket. And then she said, "Okay, what the heck?" <laughs> you know. They put like, my yeah. grandmother yeah. in a in a dress when they they had the open coffin funeral. I'm like. My grandmother never wore a dress in her life. She was a slacks and blouse person. What? So if she could have, like, gotten up in her coffin and ripped that dress off, she would have. There's one about <laughs> Dolores Del Rio, and you said if she could have, she would be rolling in her casket. Because wasn't Dolores buried next to her or something? Pretty close, yeah. <laughs> so there, there, there is some bad electricity going between those two graves. <laughs> I'm sorry. I laughed at that. I thought that was funny. Poor Lupe, though. It was so sad. And this book, Eve, I know you have another interview soon. So um, I just want to say I really enjoyed it a lot. Oh, thank you so much. I learned, and I, like I said, I'm a fan. I am. I follow you on Amazon, and you have so many great books. Everybody, please check Eve out. But please check this book out because it's really. I'm not lying. It's really good, and it's called. Strictly Dynamite, The Sensational Life of Lupe Velez from Eve Golden. And it is so good, everybody. And Eve is so, you're so funny. I love interviewing you. Oops, there goes my oh, thing. <laughs> thank you so much. I didn't, did you just fall out of your chair? Did no. You the book so yeah, much? Uh, no. When it, yes, it did. I was just like jumping up and down in joy. And, and <laughs> yes, I just did. But I really enjoyed the book. And I, I just got to know her, which I... I know her, but it, it's really in-depth. Well, I love her. I have to write about people I like because who wants to spend a couple of years with somebody you hate? 
It's like having a roommate. Some you know? people do, though. I have to say, some people really like the person see. they write. Who about. the hell wants to write about Hitler? Who wants Hitler in their apartment I for don't three know. years? It would you know? get me really bummed. I would be, the negative energy, that whole thing. It would make me sick. I couldn't deal with it. Seriously, I love being around Kay Kendall and and John Gilbert and Jane Mansfield, and they're just fun to have around. Yeah, and read these books, everybody, and please, Eve, I want you to come on and talk about John Gilbert and Kay. Oh, I, I, I fell in love with him when I was writing about him. I'm in love with him, and, and I never wrote about him. And and became friends with his grandchildren, too. Yeah, He's so tragic. He breaks my heart. I hope you do come on and talk about him, because what a great book. I'd love to. Let's definitely, let's schedule something. Yeah, because I would love to, because I, re- I do love him, and I'm, I don't know that much about him. But he's so fascinating, and I did fall in love with him, to be honest with you. So I know you're dead, John, but, you know, a girl can dream. Whatever. Oh, my God, yeah. Poor he's, thing. He's one of my dead boyfriends. Yes, mine too. I my- mean, <laughs> self-destruct, self-destructive, screwed-up alcoholic, I'm there. Be still my heart. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Eve, what a wonderful book. And you are, I love you. I just love you. Just, I love your oh, books. Thank you so much. But I love you, Philadelphia, New Jersey chick. I absolutely love you, Eve. <laughs> You're a ball. I'm, I'm an East Coast girl. Me I too. They really dig the styles I wear. I bet. <laughs> yes, I would dig your styles as well, I'm sure. Anyway, I wouldn't cut you. I can tell you that because I think you're great. (laughs) Once again, check out her book. Go to her author page anywhere. Go to her website. She has so many amazing books. Strictly Dynamite, The Sensational Life of Lupe Velez by Eve Golden. Eve, you're a delight. And thank you so much for coming on. What? I love you. I really do. I've had so much fun. Thank you. Thank you for having me, as the actress said to the bishop. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) We don't want to go there. We probably, there it goes again. See, I'm jumping for joy again. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Anyway, thanks so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Till next time. Bye.